Good morning. My name is Don Pizzotta, and I serve as one of the elders here at Crawford Avenue Baptist Church. It is my joy to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. So if you have your copy of Scripture, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll focus on verses 1 through 8. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find our passage on page 1009. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to gather around your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would lead us by your spirit so that we might continue our worship and that it would be found to be in spirit and truth. We ask that you would use your word to conform us more and more into the image of your son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start this morning with a little background on Hebrews chapter 13. It's the final chapter in the book of Hebrews. And it is, uh, Hebrews as a whole, is what many theologians and commentators consider to be a sermon, a large sermon. In fact, if you were to read Hebrews from start to finish, you could do so in about five hours and 13 minutes, which is about the time we're going to take on our sermon here this morning. But really, you could read Hebrews in about 35 to 40 minutes, and it is intended to be a sermon, later maybe adapted in written format. And chapter 13 is the culmination of, or the conclusion of, this sermon. It's the most extensive sermon on the whole of the whole Old Testament. These closing verses capture the key themes and directions found all throughout the book of Hebrews. It emphasizes the enduring nature of faith, love, and the Christian journey, our walk or our life as Christians calling believers to continue in acts of love, hospitality, sympathy, and mutual support. Hebrews as a whole is a message about how we should live in light of who Christ is and in light of his gospel. Our focus the last several weeks, as Pastor Bert has been leading us through the book of Acts, has been on the part of our mission statement that says that we seek to be a church that glorifies God by making disciples who proclaim the gospel. A proclamation is an announcement. 
But the Bible tells us that there's more to proclamation than just what we say. We will see that proclamation is also what we do. It is showing the gospel to those around us through our action, how we live. I have entitled this morning's message, Proclamation Through Action. Proclamation Through Action is our title this morning. In other words, what the text will show us and what we will see is how we can walk through life in such a way that people not only hear the gospel we profess, but they also see how we live in our profession of the gospel. There's a story about a Presbyterian pastor from Birmingham, Alabama, who lived many years ago. His name was James Bryan. Throughout the city of Birmingham, he was known as Brother Bryan. Now, there were many preachers who were stronger in the pulpit than Brother Bryan was. But none preached better than Brother Bryan with the action of his life. Like Jesus, Brother Brian went out and did good. It was not uncommon for Brother Brian to come home on a cold day without his coat because he'd given it to somebody who didn't have a coat. One spring day when he was driving his horse and buggy through the countryside, Brother Brian noticed that there was a farmer in a field staring down at the ground dejectedly. It was during the time of the spring harvest, and the farmer's horse had fallen dead in the middle of the field. So Brother Brian took his horse and buggy, unhitched his horse, and gave it to the farmer, and then walked home. It's fitting that when Brother Brian's biography was written, it was entitled, A Sermon in Shoes. One of the commentators on the scriptures identified Brother Brian, or was likely thinking of Brother Brian, when he said, Of all the commentaries on the Scriptures, good examples are the best ones. Our main point this morning is how we live our lives is essential to our proclamation of the gospel. How we live our lives is essential to our proclamation of the gospel. Hebrews 13, 1 through 8 is going to show us three ways that we are going to live or that we should live so that the gospel is proclaimed. This will serve as our outline this morning. We are to first love one another. Second, we are to stay pure. And third, we are to remember our leaders. So first, in verses one through three, we are to love one another. Second, we are to stay pure in verses four through six. And third, we are to remember our leaders in seven and eight. So our first point, we are to love one another. Look there in verses 1 through 3, and the author says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now sometimes it is easiest to figure out what an author is saying by identifying what the author is not saying. The author does not say, find brotherly love. He doesn't say, seek out after brotherly love. No, the author says, let brotherly love continue. The continue there identifies that brotherly love already exists in the believer. 
The author is reminding his audience that love is part of who they are because of what God has done in them. All throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, Christians are called to love. The greatest commandment, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor like yourself. As you read through both Old and New Testaments, love is repeated hundreds and hundreds of times. The particular love that the author is referring to here in verse 1 is brotherly love. It's the word Philadelphia in the original language. And this tender affection towards one another, towards our brothers and sisters, fellow believers, is the natural outflow of the Christian life. We also need to understand that we do not and we cannot generate this brotherly love. It already exists. It's already in us because God has put it in us. But we can stifle it or we can nurture it. As believers, we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are naturally drawn to one another in fellowship. Sometimes that desire to fellowship is out of whack. And it's out of whack because of sin. The result then, because of sin, we stifle that natural desire to be in fellowship. And we stifle the love that has been given to us. Usually, when stifled, love of others takes a back seat to love of self. All kinds of sin stifles love, but love of self is at the top of that list. As Christians, we want to work to nurture the love that has been given to us. And Scripture shows us that nurturing love is vital to our spiritual life. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Love is caring for fellow Christians more than we care for ourselves. And continuing love is important for a bunch of different reasons. We're going to identify three specific reasons here this morning. Continuing love is important first because it shows people that we belong to Jesus. In the words of Jesus, recorded in John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, Jesus says all people will know that we follow him when we love others, especially loving our brothers and sisters. The second reason that continuing love is important is because it reveals who we are to ourselves. John, again, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of life, out of death, I'm sorry, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. One commentator sums it up this way, quote, A sure proof of salvation is found in our own heart. It is our love for each other. If we wonder about our salvation, we can ask the questions, Do I have great concern for the welfare of the Christians I know? Do I enjoy their fellowship? 
Do I show my concern by ministering to their needs? If the answer is yes, we have no better evidence that we are a child of God because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, end quote. So first, we love others because it points the world to Christ. Second, we love others because it reveals who we are in Christ. And third, we love others because it is a delight to God. When Christians care for each other beyond mere sentiment, when we really help each other and love each other, God is delighted in our obedience, and therefore God is glorified. The question we have to ask is, are we willing to love that way? Are we willing to love in a way that says that we're willing to give up our life for each other? After all, that is the standard of brotherly love that Christ displays on the cross. Again, in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." Brothers and sisters, love should be of utmost importance to us because it was of utmost importance to Jesus. The author then continues in verse 2 saying, Do not neglect to show hospitality for, to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, the word love doesn't actually repeat in the English translation of verse 2. But there is a connection. There's a linkage. Brotherly love and hospitality to strangers shares the same root word. It's the root phylos. So what is hospitality? Well, hospitality is more than just putting a brisket on the table and inviting people to come and share it. It can be that, absolutely. But it's more than that. It's actually more than opening up your home to invite others in. It includes that, but it actually is more than just that. Hospitality to strangers can actually take place right here in the context of our local church here at Crawford Avenue. When we lovingly and welcome, when we lovingly welcome newcomers in. Another word for newcomer is stranger. The way we serve one another in the local church is considered hospitality. Our scripture reading that Gary read for us this morning from Romans 12 says hospitality is contributing to the needs of others. It's kindness towards others. In other words, hospitality is love. It's showing love in the actions that we complete. So the command is to show hospitality to strangers, and specifically what the author in Hebrews is pointing to is hospitality to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And this hospitality that is being called for highlights the importance of being a loving brother or sister, putting others ahead of self. Just like letting love continue, we show hospitality 
because it is a way through our selflessness that we proclaim the gospel and we show love to the people around us. It's proclamation through action. And the reason the author gives in verse 2, or the 4, he says, because thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, the author here is likely referring to the story of Abraham from Genesis chapter 18. When, when three strangers came by, Abraham opened up his dwelling to entertain and, hospi- and be hospitable to the strangers. Two of those strangers did, in fact, turn out to be angels. And the third was the Lord himself. The point, though, is not that we show hospitality in the event that we might entertain angels. That's not the point the author is making, and it shouldn't be the point that we take out of that. The point is that we just don't know. We don't know how helpful or impactful our hospitality might be. We are to show hospitality out of love. For the good of those we show hospitality towards but also for the glory of God, to proclaim the gospel to those that we show hospitality towards. In verse 3, the author continues, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now here is the call for sympathy. Remember those in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Sympathy is very closely related to sustained love. Remember your brothers and sisters. Now, there is good in uh, gospel-centered prison ministries. There, there, is, there is good that can be um, uh, taken from those ministries and applied to the spread of the gospel. But that's not what this verse is about. This verse is about the Christian's willingness to show sympathy towards fellow believers, especially those who were thrown in jail, or worse, for the sake of the gospel. The idea is, although there are implications for prison ministry, the author is talking about the treatment of those brothers and sisters who have been unjustly thrown in prison for Christ's sake. And since we are also in the body, that is, we are part of the church, we are part of God's family, and when a brother and sister is experiencing imprisonment or hardships, or even like last week's sermon when Pastor Pastor Bert pointed out that Paul was on the brink of death after being stoned, and the disciples gathered around Paul and brought him into the city, no doubt those disciples were ministering to Paul as they scooped him up off the ground after being stoned. We gather around and we share each other's burdens. We help by being there for one another. We help in whatever form of prison they're in or with whatever form of suffering they are going through. We support them by gathering around. In this context, it was literally prison because of the gospel in the name of Christ. Our prison may not be literal, but the principle remains the same. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Show you care by being there. Show you care through generously and joyously giving to a brother or sister in need. Most of all, we remember our brothers and sisters as though we were with them by praying for them. 
the most powerful way for us to support our brothers and sisters is through prayer. And when we do, we are showing love and proclaiming the gospel. The author of Hebrews said earlier in this book, in chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus, our more superior high priest, can sympathize with our weakness. How much should we then sympathize with those in need? Continuing in love is more than just a sentimental feeling. It's caring for one another. It's serving one another and carrying one another's burdens. Coming alongside one another, even laying down our lives for one another. The encouragement here is for each of us to reach out to a friend and simply love them. Grab a sister and pray with her. Grab a brother who is struggling and encourage him. Open your hearts and show hospitality to a visitor or a stranger. Get a group together. Go and minister to the homeless. Go and minister to those who don't have food to eat. Gather around those in need and show love and hospitality and sympathy. Hebrews is an in-depth sermon, as we said, on the whole Old Testament. And the author, the preacher, begins his conclusion with the topic of love. And it's not just a topic, it's a command. Do not neglect to show hospitality. Let brotherly love continue. It's a reminder because of the finished work of Christ, who is more superior and supreme than everything, we ought to continue in love. We ought to show hospitality and remember those who are going through hardships. Have sympathy for the good of our brothers and sisters, for our own good, and for the spread of the gospel, all for the glory of God. That brings us to our second point this morning. In verses 4 through 6, we are to stay pure. The author says in verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? On the heels of unpacking all that love is and should be in the Christian life, the author unsurprisingly shifts to the two most talked about topics in all of the New Testament in terms of sin, sex and money. First, let's look at verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. The author here is pretty clear and straightforward. Marriage is honorable. And it's honorable in the eyes of God because God himself created the covenant of marriage at the beginning, at creation. And God has been faithful to honor marriage ever since. Now, for the men in the room, this is very important for us to understand, especially those of us who are married. Marriage is honorable. It's a blessing from God, and it is a way for the Christian man to proclaim the gospel through action. How? Well, first of all, and, and I often need to remind myself and be reminded of this, first of all, it can be held as honorable when men fulfill their rightful responsibility to be head of the home. Marriage can be held in honor when men take hold of their rightful responsibility to be head of the home. 
God is glorified and the gospel is proclaimed in a family when the husband leads. This is not a domineering or oppressive rule. It's a leading that is prescribed in Scripture as imitating Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Just as Christ is head of every man, and the man is head of a woman. Also in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. The husband is head of the wife, just as Christ is head of the church. And the emphasis here is not on the word head or lead. It's on the words just as Christ. Lead your homes and families like Jesus leads the church. Sacrificially, humbly, strongly, yes, absolutely, but with grace and mercy and with love. So much love that he gave up his life for her. We do this first by avoiding, as difficult as this is, we avoid being selfish. We pray with our family. We read God's word together in family worship. And when we lead selflessly, when we lead like that, people will see the gospel proclaimed in, in our lives. Now, for the women, and specifically for the wives, you also honor marriage in submitting to your husbands, just as the church submits to Christ, just as Sarah submitted to Abraham. Again, this is not a willful submission to oppression or abuse. This is a joyful submission complimenting the leadership of your husband, and it paints a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church. The married couples together, we honor marriage by living our lives together, marked by a natural and mutual love and respect for one another in a way that is centered on Jesus and the gospel and that proclaims the gospel to those around us. This, like our continuing love and hospitality and sympathy, is completely and utterly selfish, selfless. There is nothing sweeter than the moments when both husband and wife, in concert, striving for the happiness and joy of the other person, selflessly love each other well, and thereby honor marriage, proclaiming the gospel and glorifying God. The author doesn't stop there, though. He goes on and says in the second half of verse 4, Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Again, the main idea here is pretty clear. Be faithful and honor marriage. For all of us, every one of us, whether we're married or not, intimacy is intended by God to be for marriage. It's reserved for marriage. One man, one woman. Keep the marriage bed pure. Stay pure in your marriage. Be faithful to one another. The command is clear. Single men and single women, whether you're dating or courting or whatever word you want to apply to it, you are not yet married, and therefore, let the marriage bed remain undefiled. In Don's words, stay out of the bed. All throughout Scripture, time and time again, we're reminded of sexual sinfulness and immorality. In fact, immorality, or porneia in the original language, is from the same Greek word as fornicators, or pornos. And as a side note there, it's not by coincidence or accident that pornography exists. It's the same root word, pornos. 
It's a perversion of the blessing of marriage and the intimacy that God gives to the married couple. The seriousness, the seriousness of sexual sin cannot be overstated. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints, that there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Brothers and sisters, again, we do not have a high priest in Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Whether you're struggling with the temptation of these or any sins, or struggling with the guilt of past sin, tell a brother or sister so that they can come alongside of you. They can gather around you and show you love. And then approach the throne of grace with boldness in the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our great high priest who is willing and able to give us mercy and receive grace upon grace to help you turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And he is just and merciful to save The money aspect of this begins in verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? C.H. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, once said, quote, I have been in a lot of testimony meetings. I have heard a lot of people share how they've sinned. I've had people come, and come to me and make confession of sin, but in all my life, I've never had one person confess the sin of covetousness, end quote. Love of money is the most common form of covetousness there is. But what is covetousness? One dictionary explains it this way. It's a strong desire after the possession of worldly things. In other words, it is the pursuit of worldliness or worldly gain, the accumulation of material things in such a way that it becomes idolatry or the worship of idols. Love of money, love of any material things, shows discontentment with the God who has promised to be there and meet all of our needs. The author is calling here to stay pure in our pursuits and be content with what we have. Now, it's not wrong to make money, we just can't love money to the point of it becoming an idol, that we worship the accumulation of money. And, and, and get, get this, it's not just about dollar signs. It's not about your, your bank accounts and your stock portfolios only. The kind, this kind of love of money is about all kinds of worldly and material things. It's about anything that replaces Christ on the throne of our heart. 
It's important to understand the context of, of Hebrews in that respect. This letter was written to a group of believers who had likely lost everything, and they lost it because of the gospel, because of the name of Christ. So this command to be content is not an unsympathetic suck-it-up statement. This command is an encouragement. And we see the encouragement right after the author says to be content. And it's an encouragement of the highest kind because he, that is God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a reminder of the promise that God gave to Joshua back in Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Staying pure and being content in our pursuits in this life is, an ability, is, is a way for us to focus our worship on God. And to further prove this, the author then takes us to the Psalms in verse 6, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? John Piper sums it up this way, quote, when you are tempted to worry about how much you have, set your mind on what he has said. If the true God is your God, he goes with you. He knows what you need. And knowing all you need and all you will face, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we can be courageous wherever his hand leads us. Flee the shiny promises of silver and rejoice in what we have. Most of all, we can rejoice that we have him. End quote. Our joy is not in the things of this world, but in the God who by his grace has promised to always be there for us. And we can trust and be content with that promise and therefore rightly worship the God of the universe. Our third and final point this morning, and this will be a little bit quicker, is in, in verses uh, 7 and 8, and we are to remember our leaders. Look there at the text and we read, Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When the author says in verse 7 to remember your leaders, he's not talking about current leaders. That actually comes a little bit further down in, in chapter 13, verse 17. Here in verse 7, he's calling for a remembrance of those from the past, those who spoke not only with their words but with their action. The call is to remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God, consider their way of life, and imitate their faith. Consider their way of life, or for our purposes here this morning, consider the proclamation of the gospel through their action. And then we have a responsibility. We are to imitate it. The author is actually pointing back to Hebrews 11, which is often referred to as the Hall of Heroes or Hall of Faith. In chapter 11, verse 1, the author says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2, For by it, that is by faith, the people of old receive their commendations. And all throughout Hebrews chapter 11, we see by faith repeated 26 times in the first 31 verses. It's a listing out of several people of old and the examples of their faith. And then in chapter 11, verse 32, time would fail to tell us of all of the things that the rest of the examples of faith did, who through faith conquered kingdoms, 
enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, and then there's more. Because of faith, some were tortured, others were mocked and flogged, some were put in chains, some were stoned, others were sawn in two, and some killed with the sword. And all of these, in chapter 11, verse 39, point to the great cloud of witness in chapter 12, verse 1. And now we see in chapter 13, verse 7, that we are to remember those who spoke to us the Word of God. We are to consider their walk, their action, or way of life. And we are to imitate their faith. The author said in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 13, God never leaves nor forsakes. And then in chapter 7 he says, remember those who have come before you. Remember all the good that they have done. Remember the examples of their faith recorded in chapter 11 from verse 1 through 29. But also remember that they have gone. They left. They have died like all human leaders will. But verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Remember your leaders, those from the past, because they point to the unchangeable Christ. Imitate the faith of your leaders of your past because their faith is in Christ who never changes and who is alive and eternal. Earthly leaders come and go. They live, and by God's grace, their lives are faithful and worthy of remembrance, consideration, and imitation. But they still must die. On this idea, one commentator says, quote, But the divine Son, Jesus Christ, remains the same, unchangeable and eternal. The divine Son has become the incarnate Son, has undergone temptation and suffering and death, and has emerged triumphant by the power of an indestructible life, to become and remain a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If the death of a trusted human shepherd has contributed to your weariness or faint-heartedness, you must realize that they, we have a great shepherd whom God brought again from the dead. He always lives to make intercession for them and keeps his word, promising, I will never leave you nor forsake you, which is expressed in other words by Jesus himself to his awestruck disciples after his resurrection. I am with you always to the end of the age, end quote. Great earthly leaders are the ones that point to the supreme, eternal, unchangeable, and trustworthy leader, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's like our story about Brother Brian. Hebrews 13, 1 through 8 is an example of a sermon in shoes, the actions that we take that profess and proclaim the gospel to those around us. Like all sermons should, Hebrews points us to Jesus Christ, the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews is a full-blown exposition on the subject of the Christian faith, or the object of the Christian faith, and the Son of God. His life, death, and resurrection, and all of its supremacy. And it is an encouragement of the faith that opens our eyes and ears to the love that is placed in us by the grace of God at salvation, made possible through the finished work of Jesus the perfect sacrifice. 
All this should open us up to the reality that the Christian stranger is not an inconvenience, but an opportunity. An opportunity for us to open our homes and our hearts to serve others. This faith shows us the never-ending satisfaction that we can experience in the priceless treasures that God has made and promised for us, encouraging us to be content with what we have because we have a God who will never leave us or forsake us and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity, and we thank you for the finished work of your Son. We pray, Lord, now that if there are anybody here that might not know who you are, that are wondering about this idea of salvation, we pray, Lord, that you would work in their hearts, they would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. We pray, Lord, that as we consider this worship, that you would bless us as we go throughout our days, that we would be encouraged to love one another, that we would be encouraged to show sympathy and hospitality to one another for our own good and for the good of those around us, and most of all, for your glory. We ask all this in Christ's name.